Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice today at audiblepodcasts.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcasts.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. Ed and Chris Sherwood, welcome to the Paracast. And I've got some really stupid questions to ask because we have not focused very much on the question of crop circles. And I think a lot of our listeners have heard two different things. One, of course... They're familiar with the movie Science from M. Night Shyamalan, where, you know, that was basically kind of a 1950s kind of horror thriller, which began with the observation of crop circles in a field. Then, of course, there are the stories that the reason we have crop circles is because people at night go ahead with their lawnmowers or whatever, and they cut out the things in the field, and that most of them or all of them are fake. So, guys, how did you two get involved in studying crop circles? For myself, um, I began in 1984 while doing uh, UFO research. Uh, I have lifelong experiences of UFOs and parapsychological experiences. And while staying in touch with the what was happening worldwide back in the mid-80s with UFOs, I noticed that uh, crop circles were increasingly, or I should say ground trace evidence was turning up in increasing numbers in England, uh, particularly near ancient sacred sites, which uh, made my ears prick up. And so I kept a close watch on those right up until 1990, when the phenomenon in England just exploded. And it was the same time, basically, as the the subject reaching world news. And um, I entered the fields. Uh, Before that, I was working behind closed doors, getting all the latest info I could, uh, just working quietly by myself. But in 1990, I stepped into the public arena, into the research arena, and and also um, had my very first incredible encounters with the, the genuine and the man-made crop circle phenomenon. Well, how do we differentiate between the genuine and the man-made? Well, that's a good question. Um, There are different ways you can tell, and sometimes you cannot tell right away. For example, uh, there was a formation, a pictogram, that appeared at Laguna Canyon uh, in in California in 1996, and we did the the on-site research of this. And when you approached the formation, which didn't look like a typical English crop circle, i.e. a formation in wheat, but was on a hillside um, with hundreds and hundreds of different species of plants and weeds all mixed together, when we approached this formation, the thing that immediately told us that this was not a man-made formation was the plants were bent near to the ground at 90 degrees without even a crease. It was like they were steamed into position. And then the other um, immediate anomaly was that only one plant species amongst hundreds that were randomly seeded on this hillside were actually bent and flattened 90 degrees to the ground like are found in other non-man-made formations. So Sometimes you can, if you if you are fortunate enough to go into a, a non-man-made formation soon after it's found, you can see clear biophysical evidence like this, um, which tells you there's something else going on here. And I'd like to add about this particular uh, crop circle pictogram at Laguna Canyon is that it was it appeared on a 
slanted, graded hillside of very loose, uncompacted, machine-combed uh, soil, and there were no footprints, no handprints, nothing that revealed anyone had entered or approached the markings. And it was a 230-foot set of three symbols that, when we uh, investigated it, the symbols turned out to be um, pictographic um, petroglyphs of the local Native Americans whose area had been the whole L.A. basin, including the Laguna Canyon area, and it appeared where they were destroying and turn, upturning sacred ground and bones and sacred artifacts and causing this great desecration. Are there ways to, to spot a, a genuine formation? Um, I mean, some, some of the, a lot of the time you need to actually do research on a particular formation. I mean, we, we've, I've stepped into a formation in 1991, which consisted of several circles in England in a wheat field, um, more than 150 feet long. And one of the circles was 60 feet in diameter about. And the top couple of inches of the wheat was bent 90 degrees and rotated all in the same direction, anti-clockwise, without, again, a break or a crease, but it was just the, the wheat heads that were bent. You couldn't even walk into the circle um, and look at it. You had to stand outside and just look, look over at it. Um, it was like uh, the energy, whatever had created it, had just dipped into the field, affected the top part of the plants only, and disappeared um, in some way, leaving this biophysical evidence uh, ruling out uh, human-made. Of course, formations that are made by people are mechanically made, and there are clear signs in man-made formations that they are mechanically made. Uh, there are footprints, there are regular footprints, there are indications for how it was measured and laid out, sometimes um, even sighting lines and and. and even infrared night sites have been found um, in formations that to us clearly looked man-made. Uh, stomper marks, uh, roller marks, uh, there are different mechanical effects left behind by people making them. But this is, in a, in a non-man-made formation, you find sometimes very dramatic biophysical evidence. Uh, in, in a formation in Mexico in 95, where UFOs were observed uh, landing just beyond a, an airport, going into a farmer's field, after some time taking off, flying away, when the local farmer and residents got to the scene, they found several simple circles. And in one of them, the plants, uh, which were zucchini plants, were changing every six hours uh, to the energetic effect that caused the crop circle. The surface of the plants looked like they were um, bubbling up and, and becoming disformed. In, in other cases where there have been uh, UFO uh, landings, um, and I'm not just uh, talking about UFOs that could be technological and, and extraterrestrial origin, I'm talking about uh, a type of UFO that uh, Chris and I have observed a lot and we've even filmed uh, in areas where crop circles proliferate in England, and these are typically big orange fireballs. They look like 20, 30, up to 100 feet in diameter, usually amber-orange fireballs. And in my experience of these, and I've had more than 100 uh, experiences with these, 
These to us appear to be simply energy, plasma type energy. And some of the forces and energies that they, they emit, uh, you find evidence of that uh, in both the, the plants, the soil, and, and other related things, like how animals react when they are near a, a non-man-made formation. Quick question about uh, the effects that these things have on the plants and the soil. We're assuming here that there's been research done on any sort of biological changes in oh, yes. cellular makeup. Right. So, so what is the nature of of those changes? Well, um, in 1990, um, I discovered something which began to, I think, unlock the, the, the secret, if you like, to what was creating non-man-made, most non-man-made crop circles in England in terms of the physics. And that was that sound and ultrasound are involved in the, in the, in the physics of their creation. Whatever you, whoever or whatever you think is actually the intelligence behind the phenomenon is one thing, but the physics that's employed in their creation, people including myself have heard unusual sounds coming out of certain formations. They've also recorded sounds that you couldn't hear uh, audibly coming out of certain formations. The first uh, non-man-made crop circle pictogram that I actually decoded, uh, deciphered or read uh, back in 1990 turned out to clearly state that sound was involved um, in, in their creation. And I looked up um, in the Encyclopedia Britannica and a bunch of physics books, one of which I, I'd had for many years. I opened up a page um, about uh, sound, and it showed a diagram of a, a vibrating tuning fork. And this was a real offbeat physics book that I'd had for like 20 years, and um, it had been around 30 years before that. And it had this um, little diagram, which was exactly replicated in the field, uh, in a field in 1990. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, strange sounds had been heard in this field shortly before this formation appeared. And when I did some research into sound I remembered, um, and crop circles, I remembered reading a book um, back in the um, late 70s called The Secret Life of Plants, where scientists in the 60s exposed different plant species to different types of music, different uh, notes, different frequencies in chambers under controlled scientific uh, conditions, and they noticed that different music and, and frequencies and notes affect different plant species and soil in, in different ways. And, for example, uh, if you pulse a certain type of music to certain plants, they will bend towards the speaker as if they are enjoying the sound. Uh, some will bend away from it. Others will die right in front of the speakers like they uh, dry up, like they've died um, from dehydration. Uh, others are unaffected. Uh, you can put two different species in a chamber and one will thrive and one will, will perish. And a lot of the physical, uh, biophysical effects that they noted in the 60s and recorded in the book The Secret Life of Plants are completely mirrored in the anomalous biophysical effects that researchers, including ourselves, have found in certain crop circle formation plants and, and in the soil as in, uh, investigated and affirmed, for example, by uh, Dr. Levengood, um, well-known uh, crop circle biophysicist who has sampled plants from hundreds of crop circles since um, 1990. 
We sent him, for example, plants from Laguna Canyon uh, within hours of collecting them, and we were the first person to do an on-site investigation, and we were like the, the, the third or fourth person to enter the formation. So it was very fresh, very untouched. We sent plants to him. He looked at them under the microscope and affirmed, like in other a number of other cases, the cells looked as if they'd been rapidly internally heated, as if in a microwave oven. Uh, there were clear biophysical effects like swollen nodes, for example, that you don't create when you just simply tramp around a wheat field stamping out your own statement. Uh, and another remarkable biophysical effect that's been observed, and we've actually done um, some research and had the same results, is that seeds that are exposed uh, in the secret life of plants, this was documented, and also in um, some crop circles in 1995, I gathered some seeds from a, a crop circle that we were definitely um, confident was not a man-made one, brought them back here, and when we planted them, they sprouted five and six stems per seed. And this multiple sprouting was documented in Secret Life of Plants, and it's also something that Levengood and others have seen uh, and help you know, document in authenticity, you know, the biophysical effects that have been seen in what we consider genuine formations, which cannot be replicated in any of the man-made formations, which these days is all that's appearing in England. For years, we've seen nothing but man-made formations, so much hoaxing has overtaken the subject, mm -hmm. especially since that film Signs came out. And Yeah, I mean, if you, ask, if you were to ask us... Uh, what percentage of crop circle formations do you think are man-made mm -hmm. since, since, say, 1990? We would say more than 90%. And we are two of the strongest proponents of the genuine phenomenon. But we have to say that more than 90% have been man-made. Um, however, despite that, the less than 10% of non-man-made crop circle formations uh, still amount to several hundred. And when I say several hundred, I'm not talking about just simple circles. I'm talking about pictograms, um, complex formations that, in, that include uh, uh, sacred geometry, sacred mathematics, sacred symbolism, amazing biophysical uh, evidence, and phenomenal events um, uh, in, in relation to them. In, in my view, I mean, in 1990, when I, I saw the phenomenon explode in England, I experienced it. I was living there, and it was happening right more or less where I was living. I... Like so many people, the number one question on your mind was, was who uh, or what is creating this. And, of course, once it became world news, uh, it attracted a, a lot of people who wanted to go out and try to, uh, let's say, fool people, uh, mislead people, um, imitate the phenomenon. And, you know, it's not difficult, really, to go into, to sneak into a field at night when no one knows you're, you're going to turn up. And especially if you've, you've practiced this, you've done this many years, as, as some groups of uh, circle makers, human circle makers have, um, it's not difficult. To, to sneak into a field and mechanically lay down a, a, a pictogram. Hey, neighbors. As we said, this episode of the PowerCast is being brought to you by Audible.com, and you can download a free audiobook 
of your choice. And you can select from over 40,000 audiobooks and lots, lots more featuring bestsellers about the paranormal, about UFOs, novels. You pick it, and when you get the book that you want, just download to your Apple iPod or over 400 other devices. All right? You can download your free audiobook today, today at audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash paracast. This offer only good for USA listeners. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Ed and Chris Sherwood, and they have a site called CropCircleAnswers.com, which will be linked with their name at theparacast.com so you can find it. And, okay, so the mechanical devices that they use. What do you use to make a crop circle? Say I want to go tomorrow to a field. Of course, in the Arizona desert, it's going to be kind of hard. But say I go to California, I want to make some crop circles. I want to start some action. What kind of equipment do I need? Well, we generally don't don't uh, encourage people to do this um, at all. Um, but it's been shown on television a whole bunch of times. It's very the most common thing they use is a stick, which they can stand on with a piece of rope attached to each end, which they can hold, and they use this to flatten down the crop as they walk around. And uh, you know they'll use string and and poles to act as sighting lines and and uh, to get their diameter of their circles and so on. And but garden would, garden rollers too. I should throw in because garden yeah, rollers except, except you know sometimes garden rollers are used, but they're much harder to to drag in uh, into a a location uh, discreetly. But a, a length of stick with some uh, string attached to each end that you can hold and stomp. You know it's not that hard to flatten crop. And, and that's, there's, there's a lot of myths propagated in this subject because there are a lot of, uh, mystery pumpers, um, merchandisers who, who basically live off the perpetuation of the mystery when it's to us clear as day that most of the formations that have appeared year after year, um, have been man-made. Uh, and they reveal that through their, their mechanical method of doing things, and also because one of the big areas of research that we have focused uh, on, um, in addition to things like the physics and trying to grapple with the possible intelligence and consciousness form that's behind this, is the, is the uh, information, the communication. Because in, in, in 1990, for example, there was a, a new trend in the phenomenon. Uh, what had been before looked very simple, uh, sets of circles, uh, simple pictogram symbols. Um, but in 1990, they really diversified in terms of 
uh, and I'm talking about non-man-made pictograms here, they diversified in their information content. For example, a big famous one, which appeared on the front cover of Led Zeppelin's uh, rock album back in 1990. Great big pictogram, hundreds of feet long, had great big key-like features uh, coming off the circles. I looked at that formation. Um, it had various aspects to it, suggesting it was non-man-made. Many different TV crews from around the world tried to film inside it when the formation first appeared, and they couldn't get their equipment to work while they were standing inside any element of it. But if they stood 10 feet outside it, uh, everything would work. That's a typical uh, anomaly. Plants were bent 90 degrees without a break or a crease when it was first found. That's another anomaly. But I looked at this formation's symbolism, and I thought, well, you know, the, the signs are indicating here that this is non-man-made, so we should try to work out what this thing is saying. It must be very important. And about nine months later, I deciphered this formation, and I discovered it was made up almost completely by uh, international using international meteorological symbols put in such an arrangement that it accurately described the weather conditions 12 hours before and 12 hours after the the event the formation in the field it described the weather conditions at that site in relation to this crop circle event. And, you know, some people uh, have asked me over the years, you know, well, what's significant about a weather forecast? You know, what, why would a weather forecast appear in a wheat field and that be genuine? Well, the source or intelligence behind most of the non-man-made crop circle formations in our experience uh, in England is highly interactive. It's highly psycho-interactive with your consciousness. Back in 1990, um, the most uh, that was being said about the phenomenon that seemed to be right was coming from a meteorologist who had been studying the subject for 10 years, and his view was that the genuine crop circle phenomenon was being created by weather conditions. Now, you take one look at a, a pictogram with all the anomalies of a genuine formation, and there's no way that could be created by weather. But what he was correct about was that certain weather conditions are more conducive than others for the energies that are involved in the in the creation process um, and thus the uh, balls of light that are typically seen preceding uh, a crop circle formation or not but a uh, the appearance of formation typically they don't occur under just any weather condition. They occur under certain weather conditions. And this formation on Led Zeppelin's album cover um, basically affirmed, it answered, this gentleman's thoughts that were true, in my view, and, right. and, and, and added something to them. It's, you know, it said, okay, um, it's like the source of the phenomenon said, okay, you, you're right, partly right. Uh, the weather is is involved in the creation process. Uh, Let's drill down on this for a minute, Ed. Let's sure. drill down, okay? Specifically, what are the weather conditions that facilitate the formation of crop circles? High pressure, high humidity, low wind speed, certain types of cloud, low stratus cloud, um, uh, fog conditions, but not necessarily, um, but high humidity. Genuine formations uh, typically appear where there is a concentration of underground or above ground water. Water is highly important in this phenomenon and includes water in the air. So it includes certain types of atmospheric conditions like high humidity. Um, you don't have genuine pictograms appearing in the rain. 
You don't have genuine pictograms appearing under high wind speeds. Um, you don't have, um, you know, it can happen in between a rain shower or a rainstorm where there's a pause, where there's a drop. But one of the things that the, this meteorologist, his name is Terence Meaden, and, and I and a number of other people noticed back in the 80s was that the most commonly cited UFO in association with very interesting crop circle formations is this amber-orange, usually amber-orange fireball. It can come in different colors and it can come in different sizes. Um, it can be the size of a, you know, a, a tennis ball and it can be over 100 feet in diameter. And I've seen more than 100 of these and I've never, ever seen them occur in rain or high wind. I have seen them happen again and again and again in the area where most crop circles are found in England, occurring when there's almost no wind, um, occurring when uh, nighttime when the humidity uh, is increasing, and there's a high-pressure weather system uh, usually over the area. A stable air mass is very important because the phenomenon, uh, rather I should say, in our view, most genuine non-man-made crop circle formations are not created by an extraterrestrial source. So, you know, if you could make more than 90% of, of man-made formations evaporate from the record, because they just create lots of confusion, what you are left with are, are non-man-made formations, and of that number, in our experience, view, and research, only a relative small number of formations, I'm talking about simple pictograms here, have been made by an extraterrestrial source, in our view. The vast majority have been the result of a natural and supernatural phenomenon. So instead of looking for ET, we should really be looking more at psychokinesis, uh, collective consciousness, certain natural uh, energies and forces of the Earth and the cosmos that may enhance psychokinesis, for example. You mean a collective unconscious is creating these elaborate constructions? I would say that the collective consciousness, which is more than the collective unconscious, you know, the, the total gamut of human consciousness on this planet in a collective sense is the collective unconscious, the collective subconscious, the collective conscious, and the collective superconscious. These four aspects of consciousness, each we all have within our own selves and we also have collectively in my view the the intelligence behind most of the genuine crop circle formations rather than being an extraterrestrial source has expressed that it is a universal intelligence maybe it's the ultimate collective consciousness intelligence um, it certainly behaves like one. It behaves like a, a poltergeist, but on the land. It behaves like a poltergeist instead, though, uh, being an expression of emotional energy of an individual or more than one individual. It seems to be the highest form of energy. And the uh, question that everyone has asked for the longest time, you know, who and what is behind this, we feel that question has been answered by the actual source over and over and over and over, stated in many, many ways, in many formations, and which is why, by the way, we call our website Crop Circle Answers. Um, it's not to say we have all the answers. Uh, we do have answers because we've been researching this subject together now for more than 40 years combined. 
But we see the g- most genuine crop circle formations, most non-man-made pictograms, for example, we see them as a form of communication. And we see them as interactive, psychic, psychointeractive answers, psychointeractive responses to questions uh, and investigations that we and other people and many people have, have, have thought. The, the source behind most of the formations, and we've had this happen over and over again, like Laguna Canyon, for example, that pictogram appeared two weeks after I emigrated here in 1996. In 1996, that was the first summer in many years that I, I could not get to England to, to do on-site research in, in the areas where most formations have appeared in the last um, 25 years. Um, you know, most non-man-made formations in the world have appeared within 40 miles of Stonehenge. Uh, of course, so have the massive number of man-made formations um, occurring in their wake and, and, and at the same time and so on. Let me ask you a question because you're, you're, you're kind of going down a track here and I have to tell you, the track that you're going on right now is a little dangerous. Uh, because I think that a number of our listeners would say, wait a minute, are you trying to then state that this uh, Laguna Canyon formation was specifically directed to you? Yes. Which is what you're implying. I think a lot of our listeners would have very... Well, let me me finish, though. A lot of our listeners would have very serious issues with that. But getting back to what you were saying before, and you use terms like uh, telekinesis... Uh, the reason I asked about specific weather formations was to try to understand if there were specific conditions being set up to facilitate transference of electrical energy. When you, you bring up microwaves, and I've been fascinated by the idea of microwaves creating crop circles and what evidence would we then have after the fact that indeed some sort of directed microwave energy would be responsible. Hence my question about what were the attributes, for example, of the Earth underneath of where this crop circle happened? Or for, you know, what did we see in plants? So there are indications in the cellular makeup of the plants that there seemed to be some sort of a focused microwave energy. When you brought up telekinesis, though, now this is interesting because at what point can we postulate that maybe what's going on here is indeed a a collective telekinesis that has nothing to do with external sourcing, but everything to do with some sort of the physical manifestation of a collective application of conscious and subconscious attention that could manifest itself in a physical way with the with facilitation of certain types of atmospheric conditions and conditions underneath of the ground. You brought up water. There are a few others I'm interested in. Is it potentially possible, I'm not even saying probable, but is it possible that what we're dealing with here is a form of collective telekinesis that is squarely focused on human energy and has nothing to do with anything but human energy? Is it possible? Business travel is a profitability killer. You know that. So do more and travel less with GoToMeeting, the easiest, most affordable online meeting service. With just a click, 
launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We're talking to Ed Sherwood and Chris Sherwood about crop circles and the focus of David's question about whether this is human energy. Human energy is a source behind the appearance of these crop circles. What do you think? Well, I have been asserting this uh, very thing since early 1991 to every crop circle researcher, um, UFO researcher, scientist I have met along the way. This has been my assertion in this phenomenon. While many, many people um, have been have tended to put it all in an, uh, you know, either man-made or extraterrestrial, because of my background in parapsychology, and I'm, I'm saying my experience, really, in uh, as much as research of parapsychology, um, I immediately started to notice the way in which the phenomenon was manifesting and how it was tailoring its answers to certain individuals, people within the phenomenon or subject who were discovering things about it that was true. You know, if you find something out and it's not true, it tends not to be affirmed. But if you hit something on the head and find it is true, the source of this phenomenon, the intelligence behind this phenomenon, tends to affirm it loud and clear. And, for example, in 1990, when I discovered all this evidence, research done in the 1960s exposing plants and soil to, to different music and, and notes and frequencies, was that sound and ultrasound will do many of the things which uh, microwaves will do. Uh, I mean, ultrasound, for example, internally cooks things. It will vibrate the water molecule within things and generate friction and heat and internally cook things. And um, so, for example, people had been, including myself, had heard strange sounds coming out of the formations. When I did some research into into the audible and non-audible sounds that people had heard and recorded, I discovered, for example, in The Secret Life of Plants, there was an experiment where wheat was exposed, a winter wheat was exposed to a frequency of 5 kilohertz. And in 1989, the strange trilling sound, as it's called, uh, was recorded coming out of one crop circle formation. And when it was analyzed at the university, it was found that it had a frequency of 5 to 5.2 kilohertz. It was bang on the frequency of the experiment that had been done in the 60s where they discovered that wheat best grows when it is exposed as a seed to 5 kilohertz uh, repeatedly uh, emitted at it, uh, transmitted to it. Now, I made these discoveries back in 1990, so here, here I was in my apartment, quietly by myself, finding things that seemed to be affirmed uh, in the biophysics, and then suddenly 
there are, there are a series of crop circle formations clearly stating sound, affirming sound and stating more uh, within them because typically a non-man-made crop circle pictogram is so incredibly well conceived that it, it teaches you something. You can be a scientist, uh, an expert in your field, and you might be on, on, on the track of something correct to do with what's behind this phenomenon, and the intelligence behind it will affirm your thinking and give you something more maybe you hadn't thought about. I had a, a private conversation with a nuclear physicist back in, in 1993, um, where the gentleman had a, a private interest in crop circles, but he was otherwise an expert in nuclear physics, and he had looked at a number of formations and specifically looked at the mathematics within them in a way that no one else had up to that point. Everyone else was looking at uh, circle radii and diameters and looking at those numbers and the length of the formation and so on and saying, is there anything relevant about these numbers? Are they sacred numbers? Do they say anything else? And, you know, you could get so much from it. Um, you might find that sacred numbers are referenced. But this guy, gentleman, thought to find out what the, the number of their areas were. And because he worked in a nuclear laboratory where he was used to dealing with uh, elements off the periodic table, uh, he noticed that one formation in particular, um, the numbers generated by calculating the areas actually spelled out a number of elements on the periodic table. And when he mixed those elements in his laboratory, they created a new superconducting material. Now, he was an expert in his field. He'd had a sideline interest in crop circles for several years. And there was no one but him at the time as knowledgeable looking into the subject in the way he was and the intelligence behind the phenomenon, like it has with us and it has with other people, it seemed to interactively, you know, be aware of, of what was in his consciousness and respond back or reflect back what was right and some. In a way only he would understand and recognize. And too. no one else would recognize, which was the case. No one to this day still knows which formation, because he swore me to secrecy because of uh, risk to his family, uh, you know, because he, he was working with a team of people and other teams around the world all competing to try to come up with the next superconducting material. And Excuse uh, me, excuse me. I just really have to stop here for a second. Risk to his family. Now, I understand the competition in science for people to discover something first. But how would that entail a risk to one's family? Well, he told me he was working you know, in, a, in a place that was funded by black budget projects. The, what they were doing was secret. Um, it, you know, th this was not an open discussion. So why does he tell Ed well, Sherwood about this? Yeah, I, well, I, uh, we, we had a mutual friend, and I'd spent many years yeah. studying the physics, the metaphysics of the phenomenon, and... Uh, yeah, I have quite a, a background in, in physics, too. And uh, he asked the mutual friend, who do you trust the most in, in the subject of crop circles? Who do you think understands the most uh, about the phenomenon? And, and who will keep his mouth shut if I ask him to? And, you know, this is many, many years ago now. And I've since communicated with, with, with the gentleman. At the time, because uh, of his position, um, I guess, he asked me uh, not to uh, reveal this, and I still to this day, uh, you know, there are, there are certain limits to what I will say about it. We can give our own examples um, and different examples, but what I'm trying to say is here, the, the intelligence 
behind the phenomenon that has been involved in creating most of the, in our view, most of the non-man-made formations. It acts as if it's an omniscient one. It seems to be aware of your every thought, your every uh, movement, your every private little conversation, your every little article you're writing but you haven't revealed yet. As we've said many times in presentations, if you do get an interactive response, a direct interactive response, if you think something privately about the phenomenon uh, to do with any aspect of it and, uh, and you're right, and uh, let's say it's something that maybe others have not thought about or no one has, has put forward as a possibility, and it is right, the source of this phenomenon tends to affirm it in the fields as a formation. In what fashion does it affirm it? How does it confirm to you that it knows what you're thinking? Well, um, Chris has got an example here she'd like to give. Yeah, I'd like to um, jump in with a, a broader example that maybe can that our audiences really can relate to and, and gives a better idea of how this interaction with human consciousness and this phenomenon actually happens. In uh, 1994, when the uh, comet, Shoemaker-Levy 9 comet, was on its collision course with Jupiter, crop circles started appearing early in the year that, in retrospect, when the whole collision had happened, there was a whole diagramming and story of that progression of the comet collision happening, including images of the impact sites that weren't known on Earth, weren't visible, images that weren't known until October, November, astronomy magazines came out with them that were appearing as crop circles. And when you put them all together, I wrote an article called The Scorpius Hour of 1994 that documents this. And in it, my contention is that with so many people having their focus, and especially a few, I was following this comet from the beginning. I was an amateur astronomer following it from the beginning. A lot of people were um, focusing on it, and because the mass consciousness of so many people were focusing on this event, it reflected in absolutely astonishing ways in the crop circle fields of the summer of 1994, up to and including the final culminating formation of 1994 when finally it was released. There was a South Pole shot of Jupiter that showed a ring of impacts. It, this didn't come out until months later, but it was the final culminating formation of the season in 1994. And there's so much, it really needs some visuals to be able to see it. But for instance, uh, in May, uh, a scorpion formation appeared. People were saying, what's a scorpion? What's the scorpion reference? We didn't understand. And the formations progressed with this kind of scorpion theme, and there were some hoaxes that were scorpion-themed as well. It, it was actually telling people that the collision was happening in the constellation of Scorpio. Jupiter was at the head of the claws of Scorpio during the collision. People looking up would be seeing Scorpio pointing directly at Jupiter and the comet coming in in the exact line and, and ways of the circles that were appearing in graded curving lines in that year in the formation. It's all in my article on our website. Actually, Chris, I, I looked at that article. Very interesting stuff. And, and I would have a number of questions about certain timeline issues there. But mm -hmm. let's pull back for a moment because something you were saying before, Ed, which was that there is a certain... And, and the problem, of course, a lot of this is that we then have this very well understood mechanism of psychological you know, bias confirmation. You know, when you think something's supposed to be a certain way, you will basically find patterns around you that support the outcome. We, we know about this mechanism. And what you said before, though, 
that you know things were basically the results that were turning up seemed to understand inner process, inner thought process. And it was just kind of what right, but that goes back to what I was saying before, which is if you have an unknown phenomenon that is basically taking subconscious collective subconscious or even individual subconscious thought and then with some sort of an as of this moment not known or understood mechanism physical mechanism is then able to basically project subconscious thought out into a physical manifestation which by the way when you brought up the term poltergeist before i thought that was very interesting in that there is so much poltergeist activity that does seem in some way to be connected to a subconscious id projection of typically an adolescent female in the environment where there's some sort, there appears to be, and we don't know this yet because science has not been applied to this yet, but there seems to be something going on that in many cases may be misinterpreted as being externally sourced or even externally primarily influenced that is actually primarily sourced by a living, breathing human in the environment that is actually affecting telekinesis of some not-as-yet-understood type that, again, is really a closed loop that doesn't have any external influence projecting in. It's certainly a strong possibility. It certainly does if you keep expanding your scale of what you consider to be collective consciousness. If you limit your uh, concept of collective consciousness simply to the collective consciousness of humanity or the collective consciousness of planet Earth, then uh, you are excluding the collective consciousness of the universe. And that is a far greater consciousness. But for greater consciousness of, say, the universe to communicate something to us. It needs to talk in a language we can understand. Um, otherwise, it's a waste of time. And um, it has answered the question of who and what has been creating this phenomenon from 1980 all the way to 2001 in our experience. Every single year, that question has been answered in the fields. And it has done it in the most amazing ways. And even... I mean, I, Chris and I have studied the design symbolism of formations as a way to try to understand the communication of the genuine phenomenon and also to spot the fakes. Um, it's like if you studied someone's, uh, say, 12 people's handwriting for more than 40 years uh, or 20 years individually, um, you would become very sensitive to the little, the, the, the ways in which an individual expresses themselves. We have looked at the design symbolism of hundreds and hundreds of formations, including considering all other aspects to this phenomenon. But just looking at the design symbolism, uh, there are certain formations that in their information content just stand out from most others. The information they, they contain is, is very relevant to uh, understanding what this phenomenon is, uh, why it has occurred at all, and really who's behind it. And uh, in 1999, for example, I gave a series of presentations in England called Co-Creation, the message of crop circles. Because people, many people had asked me over the years, you know, is, is there a message behind what you consider to be genuine crop circles? And I'd say, yes, there's, there's been many messages, but they all basically affirm one thing. The, the, the basic message that they all relate to is that we 
humanity, human beings, that's one person or millions of people as one in certain moments of, of consciousness activity, we co-create psychokinetically our own and each other's reality, I think. All right, All before right. we go into this further... Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We're talking to Ed and Chris Sherwood, and the topic on the table is crop circles. For example, um, just to go back briefly to Laguna Canyon and just to relate a little bit of the interactiveness of, of this phenomenon, um, uh, one or two people, including myself, and I've experienced this more than once actually, the phenomenon, the source, the intelligence follows you around. If you move somewhere, you might find you have a, a crop circle on your doorstep soon after. Why? It doesn't happen for everybody. Um, in my view, it, it, if it happens to, to someone, it happens because they are giving a great deal of attention to this subject. And maybe also they might be saying something that is true. It's not a, a reflection on them necessarily as a personality. We've said in our talks at all times, uh, despite having uh, an affirmation in a field to something we said or wrote or thought, or, and, and not just us, other people, we don't feel this is saying in any way that we are important, we don't feel more special than anybody else, we're just like anyone else in a way, uh, except that we have this incredible, miraculous phenomenon up over our head because we have we've basically focused so many years of our energy and consciousness on it. Um, plus, uh, we have found some things out about it. We've learned things from it that, that uh, we feel are true, and they've been affirmed. Well, in, in 96, I couldn't get to England to do research, and I thought, oh, you know, I, I, I've emigrated here, I've used up all my funds, I won't be able to do any on-site research, that's a bummer. Um, and then we get a call, oh, there's a crop circle just down the road um, from where you're now living. We went to the site, and what we see there is a pictogram that doesn't look like a typical English crop circle in a wheat field. And this is another aspect of the genuine phenomenon. And of course, human hoaxes, once, once they hear you say this, they go out and imitate it. 
but the genuine phenomenon did it first. If a formation appears in in uh, Southern California, it tends to have a very different appearance to one happening in in Norway or Sweden or Germany or England, because the energy of the of the consciousness of the people of the place also gets reflected in the phenomenon in the genuine phenomenon. So, for example, it was relevant for the intelligence behind the phenomenon to say, I am a divine source, to put sacred symbols on that hillside at the Guna Canyon, which looked more like Native American petroglyph art than some sacred design in England or Germany or somewhere else. And this is one of the things the, that has been all reflected all the way through the year, is that the primary source, what we call the primary source, the intelligence behind most of the non-man-made formations, has reflected that it is divine. It sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe it's divine, it will become no, divine. No, no. If you research it too much, you will see more crop circles because the act of you researching them will create the force behind the crop circles to generate them in ways that attract your interest still further. I'm fully, fully aware of that concept. I mean, I experienced poltergeist activity as a child, and it scared my family to death. And it scared me to death initially. And when poltergeist events would occur around me as a child, I didn't have any feeling within myself, physical feeling, that I was doing this, that this was a reflection of some uh, psychological process, emotional energy, for example, within myself, because you don't necessarily feel the connection. Just like you can be um, having a discussion with someone about the crop circle phenomenon, and you can you can have a uh, a brainwave about something you could you could say oh maybe microwaves aren't really the the energy uh, involved in in their creation maybe it's sound maybe it's a, a sonic frequency maybe it's an ultrasonic frequency because there are a lot of similarities in in their biophysical effects and sounds have been heard there's absolutely no evidence for microwaves uh, detected in in relation to crop circles but there's loads of evidence for there being sound but wait a minute stop stop because if it, I have to strongly disagree with that. Let's remember, if we're going to talk about physics and the electromagnetic spectrum, all right, we're talking about waveforms. We're talking about wave functions. Sure. So we're talking about energy at different frequencies, yeah. but that frequency is manifested. It's, it's measured in terms of waveform, frequency. So, microwaves, from what you're saying, I mean, don't contradict yourself. If you're saying that you see in genuine, what you consider to be genuine crop circles, cell cellular damage that would seem to reflect what you'd expect to find if the, the cellular walls of these, these plants had been hit by microwave energy, then microwaves have everything to do with them. But the, but, the evidence, but the evidence indicates that ultrasound was the energy that hit those plants and soil and did the very things that the scientists in the 60s found in their experiments. Dehydrated soil, plants uh, bent by the energy, others standing upright, unaffected. Plants burned and charred by the, by the energy. Plants uh, deformed, plants having increased fertility, uh, enhanced seed growth, um, uh, arrested but growth. Were, I, have were, to, I have to stop you again, Ed, because again, if you're going to talk about physics, 
be cognizant that we're talking about physics, things we know about. When you, you brought up before that plants, that seeds that were subjected to a five, correct me if I'm wrong, you said five kilohertz tone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Five kilohertz squarely in the audible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Yep. Uh, in fact, mid, mid-range frequency. The transitory energy. You would not expect to ever see a five kilohertz tone ever leave any sort of a lasting effect on anything because it's not high frequency enough. When we talk about ultrasound, you're talking about sounds that are in the part of the audible range, that well, part of the electromagnetic frequ- spectrum that is above 20, 20 uh, kilohertz, right? Uh, this is above uh, mm-hmm. human hearing. And, and then you go up from, I guess, above 20 kilohertz to what? What would, and I have to look up the numbers here because I don't have my electromagnetic spectrum chart in front of me. Uh, but ultrasound would go from, let's say, what, 20 kilohertz up to about 200 megahertz or so. When you get into microwave energy, now you're into the gigahertz range. And, and with microwave energy, you could be talking anything from, well, it starts from ultra high frequency, which is about 0.3 to 3 gigahertz, all the way up to extremely high frequency, which gets you into like the 30 to 300 gigahertz range. These are very wide ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to differentiate between ultrasound and microwave, I say you, you sort of mix it. It's, it's the difference well, between example, apples and oranges. Example, well, not really, because the trilling sound was recorded and analyzed to be five kilohertz. It had a recognizable frequency. And when I checked the secret life of plants, I found winter wheat in a chamber exposed to 5.2 kilohertz, very, very close frequency, um, enhanced the seed growth of wheat. To find that in the secret life of plants and then to find the same sound coming out of a crop circle formation being recorded, I think that's a, a very big clue. And, uh, you know, as I said, Myself and other people have heard sounds coming out of certain formations. We've recorded sounds coming out of certain formations. And the formations themselves, in their symbolism, their geometry, and their mathematics, also point towards sound. When I say sound, I'm not just talking about audible sound. um, but I'm speaking across the board to include ultrasound, um, non-audible frequencies. but what I'm saying is on the, on the ground, uh, when it comes down to the plants, the soil, the, the, the phenom- some of the phenomenal events um, associated with their creation, that, that sound and ultrasound seem to be part and a very strongly affirmed part of the physics of their creation. Um, and it also gives you a clue as to even the source of the, of the, uh, the intelligence behind the phenomenon. For example, there was a, a pictogram appeared uh, at a place called Chilcombe in 1990. Uh, if people go to our website, look at our crop circle articles, or, or sorry, our reports, go to the reports page, find Chilcombe 1990, um, you'll find a formation, a symbol of a formation that appeared in a wheat field um, which no one but myself has ever put forward an idea as to what it's actually saying as a symbol. But what um, I did find was in 1990, 
while researching sound. In fact, I had a sonic experience, which is what really put me in touch with looking at, into sound. I, I experienced a sound in a crop circle formation, and then a few days later, I, I thought to look into my physics books about sound and see if it said anything that might give clues to understanding the physics of their creation. I found this symbol showing what a diagram of what um, uh, the sound waves that come off a tuning fork when it's vibrated. When it hmm. All right, the tuning fork. This is raising a lot of interesting complications and questions, and we want to pursue this. There's a clue. We want to pursue the possible clues on hour two of the PowerCast. Are you ready? To order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked? We answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, Separating Signal from Noise. It's just $14.95 plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official PowerCast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official PowerCast t-shirt. Welcome back to the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Yeti. We have Ed and Chris Sherwood joining us. They have a site called CropCircleAnswers.com. And between part one and two, he pointed us to the Chilcom Crop Circle pictogram of 1990. And this is a CropCircleAnswers.com So we're seeing a drawing there of this particular crop circle but you said there's a photograph somewhere? Um, well, there's a photograph in a book. It's not uh, on our website as yet. But um, what you can see in the diagram is, is on the left side a silhouette drawing of the crop circle pictogram. And on the right-hand side is the diagram that I found in a physics book that I'd had for many years. And, you know, it was uh, an old physics book, not, not a... Um, one you'd find in a shop at that particular time, not a, a contemporary book, it was an older book. And it had this diagram showing the sound waves coming off a tuning fork. And when I saw that, looked at the formation, it seemed to me that to the symbol was more than one message. But both of the messages, there were two basic messages to this symbol. One was to do with physics and one was to do with metaphysics. The physics um, part to the sign was, I think, the inclusion of these four arcs in the positions that they are in, in the, in the pictogram, to infer emitted sound waves. The other layer of meaning to this formation was a metaphysical one, and that tied in very much with sound, with the symbol of a circle and a ring. If you If you take the inner central circle as a symbol element and you take the outer ring of the formation as a symbol element and you rub out the, the, the arcs, the four arcs, 
inside between the, the circle and the ring, um, you have basically the oldest sacred symbol used around the world to represent creation. All right, but aren't we uh, engaged in kind of a cosmic Rorschach test here? I mean, if you no, take no, no, out, no, no. couldn't we look at the thing as a totality and no. say, what does this mean? Rather than remove this part, it means this, and that part, it means that. It requires some decoding. It's not spelled out in plain English. Um, it does require thought and research, but the, the answers to the questions of what, what does this mean? You know, the simple question, looking at this pictogram, you know, if this means something, what does it mean? You know, what, what do these symbols mean, if they mean anything? What I found out doing the research was that they are incorporated. There are two basic symbols here. One is a sacred symbol. The other is a symbol that you find in a physics book. But they both overlap in their meaning because one, uh, the physics one, is a reflection of sound waves, and the other, a circle with a ring around it, is an ancient symbol for God, creation, uh, sun. And in um, world traditions and cultures, uh, ancient cultures, uh, the concept of God, concept of creation, world creation, universe creation, cosmic creation, was typically expressed as a spoken word of the God, the creator, the force, whatever symbol you used to represent the creator um, in ancient traditions, and you can find it in the Bible, for example, in the opening um, gospel of St. John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You could transform, uh, change the word God for creation. In the beginning was creation, and creation was with God, and creation was God. Um, what I'm trying to say here is if you, if you research ancient cultures, they typically expressed their, they symbolized, you know, their concept of a, of a God creator as speaking, and the universe was born. In modern science, we wouldn't say that, of course. You know, we would say um, a big bang occurred and there were um, an explosion of oscillating frequencies and energies that uh, eventually gave birth to what we see as the universe. Um, but for non-science-based mankind trying to conceive and symbolize um, how, interestingly, how the, the, the world came into being or the universe, they expressed it as a spoken word. And that is a, a metaphor, I think, um, mm. for creation being a vibration, a frequency, an oscillation. Um, and in this formation, those two aspects were stated in one simple symbol. It was like the formation in a way, in a very simple way, and I'm saying this as an analogy, it's a little bit like the formula E equals MC squared. It's very simple. It's so simple that you can look at the design symbol of this formation and wonder if there's anything significant stated about it. But if you find out, as I did, 
that it has within its design symbolism two overlapping layers of meaning. And it doesn't take a great stretch of, um, uh, I mean, I, I'm not conjuring this up. I, I, I did research into ancient uh, sacred symbols of many cultures around the world, and you find the simple symbol of a, of a circle with a ring around it or a dot with a ring around it. It is the most ancient sacred symbol to represent creation or create a god. When so you find- I, I have to stop you for a minute, Ed, because you seem like a very sincere person. You're on extremely shaky ground here. And, and I'm not going to start getting into a debate with you about the importance of the Bible in the cultural history of the civilization. I just used but, it as an example. No, I understand that. But you're using a lot of things as examples here, which are are very, very logically... You're in watered-down lemonade territory here, my friend. I have to tell you, because when you look at this, first of all, the idea of, you're right, the circle itself, forget about the sphere with a circle around it, just the circle itself is one of the most ancient symbols we know. It's also the first shape that many early beings, proto-humans, saw as the most powerful thing in their universe, the sun, and you've acknowledged that. Meanwhile, there are other cultural traditions that would strongly debate this. I'll give you a perfect example, because it relates to me personally. On my right arm, I have a fairly extensive tattoo. Actually, it's a combination of three tattoos as one large piece. But the main thing on the main part of my tattoo is a rainbow serpent. Which, which is another extremely old symbol, comes from the Aborigine side of the, of our cultural reality here. And it's a, it's a rainbow serpent with its tail going into its mouth. Now, the reason I bring this up is that the symbolism of that, of continuity, of the blending of beginning and end, is the same symbolism implied by the circle, because we know in nature the circle is the most compact form of energy. It, it is the, uh, the shape that is a default shape for conglomeration of energy. Stars bear that out. You know, the, the electron orbit around a proton nucleus um, is a circular orbit. It's a spherical orbit, also not exactly spherical. But when you start to, what you're doing is absolutely confirmation bias. You are essentially trying to boil this symbol down, and I'm looking at the symbol you're talking about. What this is is not the symbol of a tuning fork, it's harmonics. That's what this is actually expressing, harmonics, in a very, very simplified form. Because it turns out well, that it's harmonics... It's the same thing. It's the same thing. In the physics book, it expressed... It's a vibrating tuning fork with its associated sound waves. Now, you could go further and say more about that, but simply, mm -hmm. the diagram is completely correct in the physics book by saying... That yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I'm, so, I'm not debating that so, point, but, but to draw a line between that and a circle, that basically means... I didn't draw a line between that and a circle. I said the elements that were reflecting the vibrating sound waves are the four arcs that are between the ring and the circle. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all about symbolism of circle. I mean, that's, that's a given. But this formation is more than a circle. This formation is a circle with a ring around it, and between the circle and the ring are four uh, well-spaced arcs. And it's those four arcs in the position they're in 
that to me are reflecting, as indicated by, as shown in the diagram, the physics diagram for sound waves. In this case, the diagram is reflecting sound waves off a tuning fork, but you have to take off the tuning fork in this case, look at the formation and understand that here, whoever created this pictogram is giving you a clue to say that sound is involved in this phenomenon. And, for example, uh, let's see, three years before, uh, Colin Andrews, a uh, well-known name in crop circle research, walked into a, into a wheat field, walked up to several circles, has said this in writing and said it um, in other ways that he did not, at the time, uh, understand what was creating this phenomenon, and he was very puzzled by it. And this is in 1987. Uh, and as he approached the edge of one of these circles, he, he was so confused as to what was really behind it that he says he put his hands together for the first time and he asked God for a clue as to how these are created. He didn't ask, interestingly, he didn't ask E.T., he didn't ask spirits, he didn't ask Gaia, he didn't ask anything else other than God, and within a few seconds, a sound started up in the wheat field in front of him and became louder and louder and louder until it was, he said, like it was going to, there was going to be an explosion, and he was terrified, wanted to run, and just as he was about to bolt from the field, the sound stopped. Now, I noticed years after that event, after reading about that event in, in uh, his book, years after it, that this was a significant thing. He had asked something for a clue, and almost instantaneously, he had received a clue. And the clue seemed to indicate that sound was at least a part of that, a part but, of the answer. But listen to the story you just told. You, you actually specified he asked God, and he heard a sound. It doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter in a way, because in my view, he asked the right question to the right source. But if even if he had asked it to another source, because, you know, irrespective of what you might, your viewpoint might be towards what the intelligence is behind this, if he had, if he had said, uh, extraterrestrials, please, uh, could you give me a clue? And if they were really behind it, and they were really aware of him asking the question, and they were really wanting to assist our understanding, then they may have been able to generate a sound. And there's your clue, sound. But Sounds like a self-fulfilling no, prophecy. No, there's, there's your response sound. It's, 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 a, an, it's, affirmation. Not, it, it's, it's an, an affirmation of what you are already, see, already believing. No, see, no, it, affirmation no. of what is true. There's a difference between believing well, it and true. Huh. What we've found out is if you think something and it's not true, it doesn't get affirmed. There have been so many ideas and views and beliefs and things that have been propagated about who might be creating the genuine phenomenon. All right, all right excuse me, excuse me. Okay, oh. got to stop there, okay. All right, you're saying that if you say something that's true in regard to crop circles, and maybe we can extend this to UFO reality too, if it's true, something will occur to affirm it. And if it's not true, that won't happen? You can, can't imagine... That this is happening? Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. 
nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space, and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world, a woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with opportunities to stretch out and talk. We're talking, well, by the way, with Ed and Chris Sherwood about crop circles, and we're getting into the nitty-gritty here. Well, Gene, I have to, there's a quote, and I have to say it because it keeps reverberating in my head as we're talking about this. One of my favorite movies, Network, Howard Beale, who is in the process of essentially losing his mind in the movie, he tells a story about he's laying in his bed one night, and, and a voice comes to him, and he says to the voice, what am I, Moses in the burning bush? I'm not Moses in the burning bush. And the voice says, and I'm not God. What does that have to do with it? It's the same, you're, Ed, again, you seem like a, a nice, sincere man. But, but what you're saying, from the point of view of any sort of deductive reasoning or logic, is so deeply flawed. It really that's, is. And, that's and I, and your I said, opinion. That's your well, opinion. It's certainly I, my I very opinion, yes. different opinions and, and very different responses from people. So, um, you know, I respect your opinion, but... To me, that is an opinion. I can back up a great deal of what I'm saying. Okay, and that's so, a matter I mean, of fact. You, you, you Let, okay, back up. Okay, can you back up some of what you say? Now, you say, for example, you have recordings of these sounds heard in the vicinity of crop circles. Do you have them posted at your website? No, we don't. Um, they were not recorded by me, and I don't have permission to do that. Unfortunately, in the subject of crop circle research, we've had tremendous problems with the so-called research community. Uh, this is one of the sort of ugly sides to this uh, subject. We have no problem with the phenomenon. We just have problems with the people. There are a lot of competing egos uh, in this subject, just like there are in UFOs and, and parapsychology in general. Uh, I think sure. the very nature of the phenomenon seems to attract us. And we are very sincere people. Uh, we don't tell lies. Uh, we state what we have experienced, uh, what we've researched, what we've found. Um, you can all check our research. You can look at our articles, read through our articles, look at our evidence. Um, there's no way we can summarize our more than 40 years of research and our best evidence bent over a computer where we, we, we can't even show you really much, um, where we can only describe. But all I'm saying is, uh, in my experience of, of life, when, when you, especially with something like this, especially dealing with a, a psychokinetic phenomenon, if you start to say something about it or, or spout, and this has happened, if you make a, an assumption or a theory that uh, the phenomenon only does this or only does that, or it, it tends to contradict you. It's been trying to lead people to the answer for years. 
and a lot of people have got up and gone out into those fields to try to have uh, a closer experience of it, to try to understand, rather than just looking at pictures in books and, and internet, you know, what, what, if anything, is really behind this. And this phenomenon being what it is, I mean, I understand that yourselves and maybe many of the listeners, they don't know too much about the phenomenon or they haven't reached any conclusions. Uh, they haven't done the years of research we have. So um, that, that answer may be open, uh, that they may have no clear idea as to who and what has really been creating this phenomenon, except that uh, there is abundant evidence that most have been man-made in, in our view and experience. We're just giving our view and experience. Sure, sure. Um, some show evidence of being uh, created by extraterrestrial uh, technology and sources, and you can tell those apart from those created by a supernatural source because the biophysical evidence is very different from those that are created artificially through technology. The effects on the plants and soil is typically so much more severe than you find in a genuine formation, typically a pictogram, say, in England, um, that's communicating uh, sacred information, and that might include some physics too, but it's giving you, a, it's, it's answering what is being said that's true, and it's right. not answering what is not. So that quick is, question, quick it. question. In the wheat fields where you have crop circles appearing, and they tend to appear primarily in a certain time in the summer, right? That's when that usually happens. Well, it depends. If you're talking about the supernatural source phenomenon, then it tends to use the natural conditions that are most conducive for it manifesting, and that tends to be in England in the summer. If you're talking about the whole phenomenon, and you're also including extraterrestrial-made formations, well, they can appear any time of the year, any part of the world, any weather condition. Okay. But so specifically, no, no, understood. Uh, there, no, what I was getting at was in the areas where these occur, the specific land where there is this disturbance of the crops and then presumably also the soil, is it a situation where then there is there's a problem growing crops in those same areas or does the soil seem not affected to the point where there's any with growing things in that same yes. area yes in a non-man-made formation mm -hmm. that is that in our view has come about from a natural slash supernatural uh source and process the plants and soil are affected but not so much that they cannot grow again in in formations typically circles or circular areas that have been created by extraterrestrial sources, i.e. technology landing, right. for even a little while, they tend to have charring, burning, great deformation of cell structure, macrophysical structure. Plants won't grow up again on the soil. It becomes sterile, um, or it has an element in it that uh, doesn't allow growth. You know, the effects are very severe and they're very, very visible. Well, I think if you wanted to get very specific, if you want to be scientific about it, then you could probably state, and we've talked to Ted Phillips, the renowned trace researcher, um, mm -hmm. sure. looks into, into landings. The very specifics of it, scientific specifics of it, is that it appears that the soil loses the ability to properly absorb water. That's right. 
which would then obviously create a, a serious problem for growing crops. So, so again, if we're going to, you know, I think for a lot of people who want to try to be, to the extent that they can be objective about this, there is a, a desire, and certainly in terms of discussing this with a larger world, um, of, of trying to, to find scientific, reproducible pieces of evidence Sure. That we can be understood in that context. Yes, now, in, that, in our articles, in our articles, we have a lot of scientific evidence. Yes, in fact, a lot of our articles focus solely on the um, forces, science. the possible science, the forces behind and involved in this crop circle phenomenon. And I wanted to interject a couple things. Although um, the energy that is creating the crop circles in England, uh, it is not solely confined to England. Worldwide, there are reports in many mediums, sand, snow, ice, uh, on rivers of, of an energy system that creates circular shapes, concentric ring shapes. On a number of occasions in Russia, there have been massive sets of fine uh, concentric rings in snow where there are no footprints. Trees, uh, in trees, in sand, all kinds of different game. medium. And one, this this is an electromagnetic force, which um, I've written an article, a couple articles, uh, to do with a phenomenon that happens in the oceans called marine light whales. And I, in 1997, wrote the first article about this and really saw lots of parallels between the marine light whale phenomenon and crop circle, uh, genuine crop circles, because it's an electromagnetic discharge that when it occurs in bioluminescent waters where bioluminescent plankton are prevalent, you can see a geometric light show in the water that is, it's been recorded many times, but it's pretty rare. And in 2007, I got emails from a Navy ship. 30 members of the Navy crew in the Straits of Hormuz saw a massive marine light whale display. I've been trying to get this article published. It's, uh, the first one was in Nexus Magazine, and the second one's on my website. But they witnessed this amazing display of concentric rings and whirling um, spirals and, and sets of bars converging on each other, creating diamond shapes. 30 guys, they sent me emails saying that they can now die because they th they've seen it all. They couldn't believe it. And they found my article online. That's how they contacted me, my original article on this phenomenon. And it has been written up in a couple other places, uh, Scientific Frontiers, I think, and uh, 14 times even. I referenced some um, Charles Fort writings uh, in some early reports because it goes back hundreds of years, as do reports of circular and ring circular and even square shapes that have appeared in fields back even into the 1600s that are recorded in old woodcuts and lith you know, lithographs. And I even believe the, the plasma phenomenon that's seen and reported as UFOs is what originates um, some of our legends like the firebird and the fire-breathing dragons. dragons. I have an article, yeah, dragon legends. It's a natural but psycho-interactive, in our view, and supernatural force. These fireballs, they appear, the Project Hestelen in Norway has been studying them since the 80s. So they've got a website on, on these plasmas. And it is... Well, um, well, it, it, when you refer to it as supernatural, though, I mean... It's supernatural when it involves your consciousness. For example, I've lived in a valley that's like the Heston Valley. It's a hot spot in the world for UFO activity. Crop circles form there, and these fireballs form there. And I've seen more than 100 of them, from distances of several miles to closest ones about 100 feet away. Um, they're highly interactive with your consciousness. 
just by the act of looking at them, uh, even from a distance. I filmed this uh, in 2003, uh, myself and two other people with me. We did a, a meditation at a, at a ley line uh, energy point on the Earth, and within a few minutes, uh, these orange fireballs started to appear in the landscape. Yeah, we just raised another subject here, which is ley lines, and now... I don't know if we're moving away from crop circles or this is incorporated no, no, no. with it. It's all to do with the location because okay. in, in terms of getting to the understanding of the genuine phenomenon, location, location, location is very important. Um, the physics of the location and the subtle energy aspects of the location definitely have uh, a role to play. But what I was saying here about uh, plasma these ball plasmas, which have been seen, I've seen, um, descend into a wheat field, for example, in 1992 at a very precise spot that wasn't far away from me. And when I got to the scene of that spot, there was a brand new ringed circle and a circle next to it. And I saw in that formation uh, some of the most incredible biophysical evidence of the genuine phenomenon because it was fresh. And I, uh, but before that, uh, I saw this large orange fireball descend into the wheat field from a distance. And uh, I've seen the same fireballs on other occasions with uh, witnesses and, other, and without witnesses and uh, filmed them too. And I've shown people that these fireballs, instead of simply being natural, kind of like dumb natural phenomena, as soon as you look at one, you are now already in an unconscious, at least unconscious, um, psychokinetic kind of a loop. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, now you're raising, excuse me, Ed, you're raising a lot of questions here just from your comments that maybe we want to clarify for our listeners and for myself because I find myself in kind of a loop. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're a little with Jesus and David You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking, by the way, to Ed and Chris Sherwood about crop circles and surrounding events. You start off on something else before you went into this, going into this loop, and that is ley lines. Now, for actually, I was talking before the ley lines. I was actually talking about the psychokinetic, psycho interactive aspect of plasma. Okay, so like let's. It. All right, so maybe we should go one, two, three, four, each one. Let's start with the psychokinetic aspect. And then maybe we can get into the ley lines and how they are significant in all this. Well, I, I have an ability to sense the presence of, of UFOs. I've had that ability since I was a child. And I've assisted various researchers and teams of researchers and, and some scientists over the years to um, witness them, to film them, 
um, and to try to understand them more because I have an ability to sense them before they become visible, before you can see them with your own eyes um, in an ordinary state of consciousness. And so I can say, if, if there was going to be an appearance, I can say where and when and sometimes how many. And I have also said to researchers that in the case of plasma, in the case of this, this energy, which is both, uh, this process is both natural and supernatural, if you come into the circle, with a belief system, for example, if you believe these plasmas are extraterrestrial, you might psychokinetically co-create, co-manifest a spaceship-looking plasma. But that, that plasma is reflecting your consciousness because of what you are projecting. I've said that to people for years and years and years, and I've warned people about that. Now, I don't go into the fields like that. I learned from a very early age that if you if you proceed with a belief system, yes, you might get a self-fulfilling prophecy. You might get a co-manifestation of your own psychology. I know all that. I've known that since I was a teenager, and I've, I've said it to scores and scores of researchers to try to encourage them to enter into the experience without belief, without preconceived thought forms, which could become reflected back. If you want to get to the truth of something, you have to suspend your belief and proceed with an open, inquiring mind wherever it takes you, no matter how incredible. Sure. Okay? Absolutely. If you're not courageous enough to do that, or if you, if you, along the way, and I say you, I'm talking about generally, myself, everyone, if we, along the way, um, stop on one little piece of it, and, and, and there's more to be known, and we and we we just stop there and we we call that the thing then what we've experienced this phenomenon will respond it will respond to you doing that and it might create something manifest something to nudge you back into the phenomenon into understanding more the phenomenon i.e. to say it's bigger than what you're thinking i realized many years ago that if i was going to go to a location where which has such a concentration of electromagnetic energy at times and other uh, natural energies and forces of the earth and cosmos if i go there and stand there and have my the energy of my consciousness amplified i better have a very blank sheet in my mind if i want to see things as they really are that's what I learned a long time ago. Otherwise, you may well, like you were inferring and saying um, quite some minutes ago, when you were more or less saying that we are just experiencing a self-fulfilling prophecy, and I'd say, no, we're not, because we've gone further than that. We've cross-referenced and cross-questioned this thing over and over and over again. And as I say, if you, if you are interacting, if we were, we and other people, were interacting with a legitimate intelligence external from ourselves but connected to us it's a consciousness that is so great that it can actually pervade our own consciousness or our consciousness is actually part of it um, we're just a little piece of it then it shouldn't be a surprise that it can re respond directly to us but why would it why should it well i think really the only legitimate reason and this has been stated for years and years in the, in the phenomenon is affirms what is true it challenges what is not true or what is limited in anyone's perspective including my own you can't catch it out 
um, you can't trick it. You can't sneak up on it like a gorilla in the jungle. And, and if you've got, you think you've got better technology, you can, you can capture it. No, this source of this intelligence, this consciousness, um, phenomenon is always one step ahead. And despite years and years of, of deciphering uh, non-man-made formations, that is, formations that show through a preponderance of evidence that they were not man-made to us, when uh, – I oh, lost my track. I forgot what I was going to say well, next. Um, but I was getting to something um, to do with – it's more than – it's not simply a self-fulfilling psychokinetic loop here. This is bigger. This is also a phenomenon that has occurred because of the times we are in. I'm speaking about globally. And to do with the, uh, the collective state of our planet and how psychokinetic phenomenon very often are manifested, as you said earlier, um, at a time of crisis. In terms of poltergeist activity, um, often it is a, a developing child. It's not mm -hmm. uh, always a female. It can be a male, too. And it can also be an adult later on in life. Um, enough, if enough emotional energy is pent up in certain moments, situations, places, it can become manifested. Sure. Um, Statistically, though, it tends to be a teenager going through puberty. puberty. Yeah. Um, and it statistically, it tends to play out as as females it's certainly not always that way but but again well, this is a, sources, this is, it's a fuzzy sources, science yeah different sources say different things but whether it's a little more female male is kind of you know a detail what is relevant though is that the phenomena manifests according to um a, a crisis that's going on within an individual and that crisis i mean i have a graphic example i once uh, knew somebody who was going through a very messy divorce had a lot of uh, pent-up anger towards the other individual didn't want to express it um but was having very aggressive, scary poltergeist activity. Uh, they called me up and said, would you come over to the house, please, and use your sensing ability to find out what this is. So I went there. I didn't go with a preconceived idea. I didn't know if I was going to encounter a human spirit or, or a, a thought form or entity manifested unconsciously by this a woman or somebody else or, or, or an extraterrestrial. I had no idea. So I just, I enter into the situation with a blank mind. Once the woman started to uh, fall asleep, I noticed uh, she began to twitch. And once she began to twitch, the poltergeist activity started, and it got aggressive and violent in the kitchen, then it moved closer to the living room, and then it aggressed me, physically aggressed me, in the room I was in. She woke up immediately and said, okay, uh, what, did, did you experience anything? What was that? You know, because there was a loud banging. I said, yes, I just experienced the poltergeist. I, I just observed its, its uh, way of behaving, and uh, the way it behaved to me suggests that, um, and I didn't, by the way, feel the presence of another entity, which is the case when I extend my uh, sensing abilities, if there is one. So I said, I suspect this is coming from you. And uh, like myself in my childhood, you know, you have no direct physical sensation that it's coming from you, so you don't know. And I said, because of the way it behaved, I suspect it's to do with all the emotion that you've been locking up and holding within. So if you talk with me about things you really don't want to talk about, those real sensitive subjects that you get all that anger inside you, in your mind, talk about that with me. So she talked and she 
broke down and, and over several hours basically uh, shared uh, the, the inner turmoil. And the poltergeist activity stopped. No more poltergeist activity afflicting this person. She brought out of her uh, subconscious, perhaps her unconscious too, uh, some of the very emotional, energetic elements that were co-creating this uh, this manifested phenomenon. Well, when I look at the crop circles, in my view, I see a, a parallel thing happening here. I know, for example, that the humanity as a collective mind, if you take the whole of humanity and reduce it down to one person, humanity is going through a great crisis. And a lot of the crises, because we can't have them in our minds all the time, moment to moment, uh, paralyzing our, our every actions, they have to drop away into our subconscious and our unconscious. Um, everyone on the planet, I'm sure, knows we're destroying the planet. So that, all that energy, that crisis that we, we collectively keep within, uh, I feel is something that has an effect, and there will be a, a manifested effect, and there has been a manifested effect, but it has been of an order on the global scale a much higher order of manifestation than simply objects being thrown around and noise being created inside a house from, from an individual manifesting it, co-manifesting it. But I think there are definite clues there. I think, you know, when a lot of people's eyes are focused on an extraterrestrial explanation for genuine uh, crop circles, I say, yes, there is evidence for some, but I actually think there's more evidence that the majority are a, um, as much a, a psychokinetic, a spiritual, supernatural, psychokinetic phenomenon connected to, uh, partly from the energy of our consciousness, but also that which is greater than all of us together. You know, the, the sum is greater than the number of the parts. So it's like at nighttime when you dream, we all go to sleep, we dream. Who invents your dreams at nighttime? Our dreams are so amazingly conceived sometimes that who who or what is the intelligence that really puts all those elements together that we, the dreamer, walk in during the night or run or do whatever we do? I often look at that and think, well, there's an example of the collective mind at work. There's an example within just yourself. If you look at your your total consciousness, your total collective mind of one person is able to co-manifest on a nightly basis a dream world, which is full of, of meaningful symbols, uh, literal and metaphorical, so well conceived, more conceived than you can consciously conceive. Who or what is really the intelligence behind that? And I think it's the, it's the collective intelligence. It's the collective intelligence of your total consciousness. So it includes your unconscious, your subconscious, your conscious, and at times your superconscious. Well, imagine that blown up onto a planetary scale so that the total intelligence, total consciousness here has access to information greater than any individual has within their conscious minds, but is totally capable of affirming. If an individual wanders along and stumbles onto the crop circle phenomenon and finds a formation and, and goes, what is that, and, and, and looks into it, 
and then starts to hit a few notes of truth, as we have found, the source intelligence, the collective mind, whether you think that is coming from a, simply a planetary consciousness, collective mind, or as we feel because of what has been expressed over and over and over uh, in incredible ways, is coming from really a universal collective mind. It's like the universe is basically talking back to us. We're all asking questions. We're all saying, you know, is there an in intelligence to the collective mind of the universe? There are some people like ourselves asking that. And the collective intelligence mind of the universe has all the capacity to respond back. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked. We answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. It's just $14.95 plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. talking to Ed and Chris Sherwood and this is the final segment we have with them on this week's episode and this is kind of the question that you really can never prove of course whether or how the universal consciousness interacts with people but you did say one thing that maybe we could spend a few moments exploring before we let you go and that is extraterrestrial influence a small number of these crop circles are sourced from intelligent entities from other worlds how do you know this? What's the difference between them and the ones that are part of a universal consciousness? The, 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 the biophysical, as I mentioned, um, separates the two, but also the design symbolism, the message, if you like. If, if you look at the, say you give me a pictogram that from the preponderance of evidence was created by an extraterrestrial source, and there are some, uh, what we've noticed is coming from their consciousness coming from their perspective they make a statement which says something about them something about their way of stating something even if they even if you have an intelligent civilization say that is looking down on this situation and going boy these humans they don't seem to understand they're having miracles appear on their on their uh, land and they're not coming from us um, they're actually co-manifested by themselves and the universal mind We'll make a statement ourselves about this, and they plonk it down. In a way, sort of similar to the way uh, human being, human groups, human circle makers have been doing, they basically leave behind a, a message of, I was here, and I am this. And what they state is hard to get your head around, because it's coming from, a, it's coming from an alien consciousness. When you look at the formations that are coming from the universal mind, which has infinite intelligence, 
put something down which you look at and you, you sort of scratch your head and go, I, I recognize that, but I don't quite know what it is. I'll have to research it. And you research it and boom, you find it. It states something about this formation being more of a universal intelligence source rather than an extraterrestrial one. It says it in a way in which you can understand, but you will have to do some thinking. Sometimes it's very obvious. Uh, in 1990, the largest pictogram on record appeared in a dry lake bed east of Steens Mountains and Oregon. Uh, in Oregon. It was a massive, massive formation. It, the, the amount of lines, uh, it was 13.3 miles of lines created this formation, and it was an exact, precise symbol of the most ancient sacred symbol to represent God and creation in Indian tradition, not Native American, but Indian tradition, uh, known as a Sriantra. A Sriantra is really difficult to draw on paper, let alone do as a massive pictogram on a dry, hard-baked lake bed without all the damage you would do if you tried to do it yourself uh, using you know, whatever mechanical means. This was a precise, massive formation uh, stating that who or whatever created it, I think, wanted you to think that it was from a sacred source. Whatever that is, it was from a sacred source. And it was one of a series of signs, crop circle signs, genuine formation signs, that appeared to get us thinking and looking in certain areas of, of understanding the physics, the metaphysics, the intelligence, the consciousness, and, and how we are actually, we're, we're not insignificant elements of the creative process, you know, there, there are lots of elements involved. The weather is involved. The water is involved. Ley lines are involved. Um, solar activities. solar activity is involved. Lunar positions are involved. Certain types of topography is required. Um, there are so many natural factors that seem to go into the creation process of certain formations that it clearly rules out being ET made and the, the psycho interactive psycho aspect, um, how a pictogram can reflect, uh, things that you are, you know, we could have a, be having a private discussion here about the phenomenon really crunching down on what we think is behind it and trying to pull in evidence to either support it or refute it. And boom, a formation appears, uh, in a field. Uh, you, you didn't tell anyone else about what you were talking about, and you hit on some very precise things, and boom, those precise things are reflected in the fields. Um, and many of our articles on our website talk in great detail about many of these formations and exactly how that's been encoded and symbolized in the formations that we've focused on. Yeah, the detail is in our writings. Uh, the evidence uh, more evidence is, is in our writings. As far as proving, you know, we don't try to prove. Um, we just present the evidence that we've found. Um, we don't ask anyone to believe in what we're saying. We ask people to uh, question it with an open, inquiring mind. And, you know, uh, if you find something in it that's true, then great. You, you find something that we've we've learned. But... Really, if you want to get to the bottom of the truth of something, you have to suspend your beliefs. No matter what 
where, where it takes you. You know, if it takes you to something that could be called God or, or, or whatever name you want to use to symbolize the concept of a universal mind, um, a universal collective consciousness, a universal collective intelligence, you know, we can symbolize that in various ways. Um, but if the evidence after inquiring, suspending belief, suspending assumptions, um, following the trail of evidence, if it takes you to, to what it, it showed to us um, in the early years, and that was there's more than one source creating the crop circle phenomenon. Uh, most of the formations are man-made, unfortunately. A small percentage, relatively small percentage of the non-man-made ones are extraterrestrial created, i.e. by technology, by artificial means, um, utilizing energies and forces that are similar to the energies and forces emitted by ball plasma or beam plasma or a cloud of plasma uh, guided by a psychokinetic force. But uh, really, inquire with an open mind without belief and uh, you might might arrive at some of the answers, that, well, some of the things we've found. Or we might arrive at different conclusions. Or you might arrive at a different conclusion and, mm -hmm. and we respect uh, you know different sure. opinions. Quick question for the two of you. What are your um, personal religious backgrounds? Just curious. Well, um, my own is, is basically not religious. Neither of my parents were, they were certainly not practicing any religion. I, although from a very, very early age, I, you know, I, I, I heard adults talking about God from an early age in school, you know, teachers and so on, and I sure. questioned all the time. To me, it seemed like a projection of themselves. Whenever anyone talked about God, um, frequently what I heard was a projection of their beliefs rather than perhaps what actually is God. And I, I did a long, long inquiry into what that is. And, and I have views on that, but perhaps that's another show. <laughs> Chris, what are your particular religious beliefs? Okay, well, um, my background is sort of similar to Ed. I, I, we didn't have a real structured uh, religious upbringing in my family. I had a little sort of leave it to beaver family. And, you know, we believed in God, but we didn't go to church. Uh, when I was young, 1920, I got involved with um, Eastern religion. And I did a lot of meditation and a lot of looking at spirituality from that uh, perspective. And then I drifted into psychology and um kind of got away from anything that was very, you know, religious in any structured form until I became interested in crop circles. And not that I, this is religious, but spiritual. It's definitely a psycho-spiritual mm -hmm. relationship. And uh, I was so captured by the information that I heard about crop circles in 1991, 92, that it really drew me in. And it's what brought Ed and I together. And it's been our focus ever since to try to share what we Till we understand about it. We're not we're not religious nuts by any means. What, one quick question, though, going back to the Laguna Canyon crop circles, I'm looking at a at an, uh, what looks, I guess, is a drawing of the three uh, shapes. You have two sets of mm -hmm. concentric uh, circular uh, patterns, basically concentric circles. Then uh, on the right, there's another one that is that looks different. Can you can you decipher that other one for us? Yes, yes. yes. In fact, um, I discovered the meaning of that one. Well, we both we both did, yeah. It was a joint effort, um, like a lot of our discoveries. We looked at that, and 
assumed that I mean it looked like petroglyph art, so we we thought that we should look into petroglyph art and and particularly look into the sacred art of the indigenous people of that area. And what we found was. Uh, an object which the shamans would use, the, the Chumash and, and the uh, Tongva Indians that lived here um, previously, they, the shaman would typically hold up an object to the sun on solstice times, uh, which had inscribed on it a circle in the center and radiating lines out from that to the edge. Called of, a sun staff. Called, called a sun staff. Uh, it was like a sun compass. And when we found this in a book, we looked again at that, and it looked like a, a flat two-dimensional representation of a sun staff. So we thought, okay, well, if, if it is, there must be perhaps some something else in here to affirm it. There usually is. Um, and so we measured the angles of the spokes, 14 of them, and three of them fell on solstice positions, as affirmed by an astronomer that we wrote to about it, sent in precise um, measurements, um, topographical information, and he did the maths and, and got back to us on it. Um, we then took the design and showed it to a Chumash elder without saying anything about it being a crop circle. We didn't even mention crop circles to him at the time. We just... Uh, showed him this diagram of the formation and said, do you recognize this in, in your people's art, your sacred art? And he did. He said, yes, um, I can tell you what that element means. That five concentric ring thing is a symbol for God, a creator for us. Um, uh, and um, the, the spoked glyph, um, well, with its... its implied sun-like uh, aspect, um, each of the spokes had a, a circle on each end. Uh, so there were 14, and then there was one was not connected to a spoke. It was actually between spokes. And we wondered about this, uh, this odd one by itself. And often what happens in, in the cross-circle phenomenon is that the genuine statements or the genuine communication of the previous year, uh, however it finishes in that year, it picks up, a, up a, again in the next year and continues the communication. So, for example, in 1995, uh, we had formations that depicted uh, uh, a solar system and asteroid belt around it, uh, uh, re reflecting our own situation in our own solar system. And there was a couple of genuine formations and there was several man-made imitations after it, very bad looking ones. Um, As someone once so said, Ed, there you go again. You're raising a whole bunch of things that we'd like to ask you about sure. in very explicit detail, and we really don't have the time. No, and no. rather than get into a long, involved no. discussion right now, perhaps we could table that for the future, take a rent check sure. on it. Sure, but sure. perhaps you can tell our listeners where they can get a hold of you if they want more information about your ongoing crop circle research. The best way to... Um, uh, follow our research, uh, read up on our research, is to go to our website, cropcircleanswers.com, and to uh, keep an, uh, an occasional eye on the news page. If you scroll down to the bottom of any page on our website, you'll find a list of uh, page links to other main pages. And uh, any new article or YouTube UFO video posting, because we haven't even touched on uh, the subject of UFOs that we have witnessed and filmed, videotaped, 
night uh, and outside our apartment in broad daylight over Santa Monica in 2006, I videotaped more than 40 um, daylight UFO sightings. If people want to find out about the latest news, go to cropcircleanswers.com slash news and you'll find that. If you want to uh, research more in depth uh, or just understand more perhaps what we've been trying to say, go to our articles, go to the uh, reports page, the articles page, read through some of the articles and some of the evidence we, we put forward there. Okay, this is cropcircleanswers.com. And by the way, listeners, when you read the description of the appearance by Ed and Chris Sherwood on the PowerCast, we will have a link to their site. So if you forget what it is, you just click on the site there and you'll find it. Ed and Chris Sherwood, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thank you, Gene. Thank, Thank you, you David. Very much. Thank you, guys. It was fun talking. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.